0: open those up to the New Testament book of Ephesians. New Testament book of Ephesians. We have been in uh, this new series in light of the gospel for the last couple of weeks. Basically just walking through chapter 4 of Ephesians. Uh, We like to go through books of the Bible and uh, we just finished going through the book of Genesis. It's taken us 10 months to go through Genesis and so we're in uh, in chapter 4 of Ephesians. And um, Joe kicked us off the first two weeks, and I'm going to finish this out the last two weeks. And we are going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 17 down through 24. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a hardback black Bible in the row in front of you. Feel free to take that Bible and uh, keep it if you don't have one. It's our gift to you. Again, Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 17. The Apostle Paul wrote the book of Ephesians. This is what the Word of the Lord says. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. It says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Father God, we just thank you for already just to experience your presence, God, to, to, to feel your spirit uh, this morning uh, through our time together of, of worship and um, you know, just hearing uh, Sandy and, and being able to come around your table together as a family. Uh, Father, we are just encouraged and I pray that as we continue to worship you through your word, Father, as we uh, continue to exalt Jesus in this place, that your spirit would move, Father. God, open our minds and our hearts to see the beauty of Jesus and the beauty of your gospel. God, help us to see ourselves for who we are in light of that. Father, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I believe that one of the biggest struggles for Christians today is identity. Identity. I believe that that one of the, the reasons why we struggle as followers of Jesus to grow in our relationship with Christ, to pursue holiness, I believe one of the reasons we struggle with that is because of the issue of identity, knowing who we are in Christ. It doesn't matter if you are a young person or an older person, one of the biggest struggles is identity. Right. There, there is an enormous amount of pressure on all of us to perform, uh, to, to be somebody that we're not, to look a certain way. Uh, to, there, there's an enormous uh, amount of pressure to find our, our self-worth and our self-value in other things or other people, people's opinions of us. Listen, I have a a nine-and-a-half-year-old who we wrestle with all the time, and we try to tell him uh, one of his struggles is he wants people to like him. He wants to, you know, if somebody tells him to do something, he's got a friend, he's going to follow. Every day when he gets on the bus, I say, Jude, be a leader today. And I explain to him what that means. I've got to drill that, man. This is, this is who you are, right? Because because he wants, to, he wants people to like him, and so he's gonna follow. And so that's the struggle that we all have. Bottom line is this: what we think of ourselves, what we believe about ourselves determines our behavior. Simply put, our identity determines our activity. Our identity determines our activity. And listen, the Apostle Paul, who wrote the book of Ephesians, knew the importance of identity because you see this phrase, in Christ, over 40 times in the book of Ephesians. That's a lot, that phrase, in Christ. One scholar, uh, Clinton Arnold, says this. He says, Paul wrote this letter to affirm the Ephesians in their new identity in Christ to encourage and strengthen them. You see, the Apostle Paul knew that this gospel truth, right, that our identity in Christ is one of the most life-changing, life-shaping, identity-forming truths in God's Word. Like, if if we could just grasp and understand who we are in Christ and what that means, it it is life-changing. And my prayer today is that we would begin to grasp a little of that. Paul is writing... This book to newer Christians from a pagan background. Ephesus, if, if you know anything about uh, Bible history, Ephesus is in modern-day Turkey. Uh, it was a world-class city. It was very eerie similar to the way our culture is today. Uh, it was uh, a port city, so it had a harbor so boats could come in off the sea, but it also had major highway systems, and so it was very accessible. Uh, it was good for trading. It was a very wealthy, very popular, very touristy place. One of the reasons why it was so popular, though, is because of the temple, the great temple Artemis, right? It was a pagan god, pagan idol worship. Um, if you can go online and you can read about the Temple Artemis, it was one of the, I think it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient, ancient world. But it was basically, um, li- listen, Ephesus was just steeped in uh, sexual impurity. I mean, it was rampant in Ephesus. It was a very, very dark Place and so you can imagine that as Paul is writing the book of Ephesians, the reason he uses that phrase in Christ so much is because he's writing to people who had just come out of this lifestyle. Like the, 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 this, the, the, so I imagine that these new Christians are probably like walking around Ephesus and they're running into some old friends that they used to hang out with at the temple, right? And, and so Paul's like, "Hey, listen." This this is who you are in Christ. Don't revert back. I can remember when I uh, was coming out of that scene when when God had captured my heart, and I was uh, around twenty years old, and and I was kind of coming out of that scene. I, I remember my friends calling me up on the weekends, and uh, they would call me Hoback—that's my last name. They say, "Hoback, you going out with us to this party in Blacksburg?" And I'd be like, "No, no, I'm not going." And it was uh that that happened a few weeks before they finally got the hint that man hoback's not coming out anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? But this is what Paul is dealing with. He knew the temptations that they would face to go back to that lifestyle. And that's why in the first three chapters of Ephesians, man, you've got to see this. Paul just absolutely overwhelms them. He hits them like rapid fire with gospel truths. Like he is just raining down. Gospel truth after gospel truth after gospel truth. He is saying, listen, Ephesus. Listen, church in Ephesus. This is who you are in Christ. These are the realities of what you have in Christ. Right? So, so the first three chapters, man, Paul is just absolutely affirming their position in Christ. He says, this is who you are. Right? In Christ, this is huge. In Christ, you are positionally holy in christ you are made righteous in christ we are justified in a second in a moment you are forgiven you are made righteous you are positionally holy and you ask how can this be right in ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 he says that 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 you were dead in your sins our sins alienated us from God. We are separated from God because He is holy and righteous, and we are sinful and rebellious. But God, being rich in mercy with this great love that He loves us, made us alive in Christ Jesus. We were dead, and now we are alive. This is what Paul is communicating to them. And the only way that is possible is through Jesus' substitutionary death on the cross where Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. It's a beautiful transaction that happens on the cross, right? Jesus takes our sin and then his righteousness, his perfect life is imputed to us. That's what I mean when you say positionally holy. That's what I mean. You are holy and righteous before God because of Jesus 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul says, For he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so listen, the first three chapters of Ephesians, man, Paul, Paul is just drilling this in their heads. He's like, listen, this is who you are. His desire is that these gospel truths would become more than just a bunch of doctrines to believe. That They would become more than just this theology that you construct in your head. But his 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 desire is that they would be transformed by these gospel truths, that the gospel would capture their hearts and they would be transformed. Right, more than just more than just behavior modification, more than just cleaning up your behavior. We tend to focus on outward behavior. Paul's like, No, 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 no. God wants your heart. He wants to change you from the inside out to where it filters all the way down to the way you walk, how you think, how you use your body, how you use your time and energy, right? Paul wants them to experience the fullness in Christ, the joy, the power that they already possess in Christ. And the same is true for us, right? And so there's two things that we're going to look at quickly this morning. Uh, Paul is basically going back and forth here. He says, this is the life that you that you had before Christ. This is who you were. And now this is the life that you have after Christ. This is who you are now. That was your identity, but this is your identity now. And so Paul uses this this phrase that says, Put off your old self and put on the new self, which is in Christ. And so what Paul does here, man, is he begins with an honest evaluation of the human heart. And this is so important that you see this, because if we don't get to the heart, if we don't get beneath the surface If all we focus on is behavior modification, then we're going to continue to fall short. And we're going to get frustrated with ourselves. But Paul begins with an honest evaluation of the heart issue. If we're not willing to dig deep beneath the surface, then we will always, always just settle for superficial change, is what it it amounts to. Right? And so Paul says, he says, if we want to escape... The futility and deceitful desires of life, we've got to uh, stop walking as the Gentiles do. Look at what he says in verse 17. He says, You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now, the Gentiles represent all people who aren't Christians. Okay, So in our culture and day, we could easily say, if Paul was writing to us, church, Chester Christian Church, he'd say, no longer walk as the Americans do in the futility of their minds. Now that word futility is the same concept that King Solomon uses in the Old Testament when he writes the book of Ecclesiastes. King Solomon, if you don't know who he was, he was the wisest man who ever lived. Right, He had more wisdom, he had more knowledge, he had more money, he had more women, more everything than anyone, and yet King Solomon said, without God, it is all meaningless, it is all futile. It's like chasing after the wind. You see, without a transcendent God to bring transcendent meaning, it is all vanity. And one of the most terrifying things in life is to finally get that one thing that we think is going to bring us happiness. That one thing that we've been chasing that we think is going to validate us, to give us the identity that we're looking for. I think the terrifying thing is to finally get that, to achieve that, and then realize that that is not what brings us satisfaction. It's not what we needed. You see, this is why we acquire more possessions. This is why we obsess with appearance. This is why we never are content because we are searching for satisfaction in the things that were never meant to give us satisfaction. And this is what Paul is saying. He said, it's futility. It's futility. He goes on to say that they're alienated from God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. See, their, heart, their hearts have become hard, hard towards God. And, and listen, it's not because they're, they're dumb. He's saying these, these are some of the most educated people, sophisticated people that he's talking about. These are smart people. But the problem is, and it's not, it's not because there's not evidence around them, right? Paul would tell us in Romans chapter 1 that the evidence for God is all around us. I mean, you talked about the Himalayas, Sandy, and just the beauty of God's creation. All you got to do is look and see. There's evidence for a creator. The problem, what Paul is saying here, is that these people have suppressed the truth. They've become their own God, they've suppressed the truth. In verse 19, he says they've become callous. That's a good word. I can remember when I was learning to play guitar, and I remember the tips of my fingers would just get red and almost bleed, and it hurt really bad. And I had a decision to make at that moment. I could either uh, give up playing guitar or I could push through until I got calluses on my fingertips and I would feel them no more. That's what Paul is saying here is that the human heart has become so callous that it doesn't feel anymore. It, it doesn't feel, right? That, 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 that it doesn't feel anymore. It doesn't feel the conviction of sin anymore. It doesn't, it doesn't desire to, to love God or love people. There's no... There's no like, desire, there's no conviction to grow spiritually or follow Jesus. And, and this is the reality of the world that we live in today. We could spend all day today talking about the ways that our culture has become callous. If you wanted to think about big things, we could talk about the humanitarian crisis in Haiti and if you don't know about it, the reason you don't hear about it is because we we don't care, right? It's not, it's not it's not made big news, right? People are dying in the streets. People people just don't care. We've become callous. We could talk about uh, this past week. Was there not another school shooting this past week? Right? I, I think I saw that. I mean, has it? it's almost become routine, has it not? Like, it's just we expect it. You know, we've become callous. I mean, we could talk about abortion, how far that's come. It's just... But listen, I, 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 I want to be careful here because I don't want us to think about, I don't want us to sit here and become self-righteous and think about all these big things. Like, yeah, man, our world has become callous because I want us to look deep within our own heart. Right? Talk about the anger that, that we struggle with. Talk about the lust in our own heart. Talk about the own selfish desires in our own heart. Right to, to talk about those things. Like, do we care for what God cares for? Do we feel for the poor, the orphan, the widows? Do we do we desire to, to grow in the likeness of God and, and righteousness and holiness? See, he continues on and he says they've given themselves up to sensuality and greedy to practice every kind of impurity. In other words, what he's saying is this they've they've totally devoted themselves to the gratification of their senses. See, God has given us the gift of our senses. We have senses, right? We have the sense of smell and seeing and touching. And, and what Paul is saying here is, is that we have taken those gifts and we have used those gifts to gratify our sinful nature. We just can't get enough. It's a bottomless pit. We just continue and continue and continue. And again, we can see here and we can list off a bazillion things. Right, we could talk about drugs and we could talk about alcohol, we could talk about sexual immorality. I mean pornography is absolutely off the chain in our culture. Off the chain. I think it's one of the highest money making things, even more than sports. Like how insane, I mean, how insane is that? And, and yet what Paul is saying here is he's showing us the depravity of man. He said, this is how bad man is. This is how bad we have gotten. Our rebellion against God, we have gone this far. And this is what he said. This is, this, is, this is what a holy, righteous God sees in the human heart. Our question should be, how in the world does a holy, righteous God not just smite us to death? Right? Praise God for his grace and mercy. Praise God for Jesus and his righteousness. Amen. And that's what Paul is doing here. Listen, Paul is reminding them that this is who you were. You were once alienated from God. All right, Ephesians 2, 1, again, he says, you were dead in your sins in in which you once walked, following the course of this world, but God. Look at chapter 4, verse 20. He says, but that is not the way you learned Christ. That is a great phrase, learned Christ. Right, it's not only a direct reference to your salvation, that moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus and, and you were justified, made righteous in Christ, but it's also a re- reference to this process of learning truth. Jesus is truth. It's this process of, of, of intimate relationship with Jesus, sitting at Jesus' feet, being a student of Jesus. Jesus is the gospel. It's becoming a student of the gospel. We have learned Christ. See, you've experienced reconciliation. We've been reconciled to God. We've experienced forgiveness. You have this new heart. You're a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. This is your identity. This is what Paul is saying. This is who you are. It's not about learning a bunch of doctrines and theologies and concepts. He said it's about learning Jesus. Jesus is a person. He says, let these gospel truths that you are learning filter down to, the entire, to your entire life and to the way that you walk. No longer, no longer walk as the Gentiles do, right? Don't, but walk in a, in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. Which means we don't continue in the same futile way of thinking, right? Our our lives as believers look different. That's why he goes on to say, you put off, verse 22, right, which belongs to your former manner of life. You take off those old, dirty, stinky clothes and you put on gospel clothes created after the likeness of God in true righteousness, and that putting off and putting on is what the New Testament calls sanctification. So justification happens in a moment. You're justified. You're made right with Christ. You receive his righteousness. Sanctification is lifelong. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in your life that is making you, helping you to become more like Jesus. And here's the problem. Here's the problem with our culture, our Western culture is we, we want things fast, right? We, we, we've, we've kind of created what's called easy believism. You know, you say, hey, you can receive the benefits of Christianity. You can come and you can have your sins forgiven, but you don't really have to change your life, man. You can go back out there and you can still do your old things. You can still you know, sl- sleep with your girlfriend, whatever you want to do. You, know, you can still do those things. You don't have to change. It's easy believism, right? So we, 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 we go out and say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. But we're no different from the world. Right? And Paul's like, no, 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 You've got to take off those old, stinky, smelly clothes. And you've got to put on gospel clothes. See, I think for a lot of people, Jesus is just an add-on to our life. There's no difference whatsoever. I want to read uh, Romans. It's going to be on the screen for you. You can write it down if you want to. We'll go back and look at it later. But Paul, the Apostle Paul, writes the book of Romans too, And I want you to see... Chapter six, what he says, it, it ties right in with this passage in Ephesians. Chapter six, verses one through seven. Look look at what he says. He says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Right? For those people who say, Yeah, just go do whatever you want to, you'll be forgiven. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. This is what Paul is saying. Look at verse 5. He says, that for the believers in Christ, for those of us who have put our faith in Christ, there is a union with Christ. We have become united with him in the likeness of his death. This, this is such a beautiful picture here. This is what one commentator said. In other, in other words, what happened is 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 to Christ what happened to Christ is counted by God as happening to us. Right, so so Jesus' death is our death. Verse 2, he goes on, he says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him. The old self, the old me, the old rebellious self who turned away from God has been crucified with Christ. I died when Christ died. That's what Paul is saying when he goes to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. It doesn't mean, hear, hear me on this, it doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect or sinless. That's not what Paul is getting at here in, chapter, in Romans chapter 6. Because we know that the reality is as long as we are in the flesh, we will sin. But, but listen, I hope you know If you don't know, you're about to know that there is a big difference between falling into sin and living in sin. Listen, we will fall into sin every day. That's just the reality. We live in the flesh. We're going to fall into sin. But if you're here this morning and you are habitually living in sin and there is no conviction over that sin in your life, I want you to come and talk to me after the service. I really do. Yeah, right? I really do. You see, as long as we are in this flesh, we will wrestle and struggle with sin. Our struggle is what theologians call the already but not yet. Right? You see, we've been redeemed. We've been justified. We've been made righteous in Christ. We are positionally holy. We have resurrection power now, but we still live in the flesh. Do you feel that tension? We have this tension every single day. Right? Hashtag the struggle is real. Right? Right? And this is what Paul is saying. What you wear, the clothes that you have on, matter. This is why he's saying you've got to take off. You've got to take off these clothes and put on gospel clothes. Right? Because what you do, how you think, what you, your identity, it filters down to the way that we function in life. And this is why this is so important, because as people, Chester Christian Church, as people who have learned Christ, as people who have gone from death to life, as people who have experienced God's grace and mercy and forgiveness, for those of us who have experienced those things, right, we are a new creation right now, right? We've experienced the kingdom of God. We have resurrection power right now. And so it matters what we do. It matters what we say. It matters what we watch. It matters how we handle our business in the community. Because what we are projecting to people who don't know Christ is that Christ satisfies. What we're telling the the, the community, what we're telling the world, is is that my identity is in Christ, I am content now. I have joy now, regardless of my circumstances in life. I have joy now. And that is what Paul is helping us see. He says, "So, how do we do this? How do we put on this new self? How do we live out this Christian life and pursue holiness and righteousness that Paul talks about in verse 24? How do we do that, Chester Christian Church? I'm glad you asked, because I'm about to tell you. I believe the answer is in verse 23. It says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. This is the connection between putting off the old self and putting on the new self. Being renewed in the spirit of your mind. Mind. He's focusing on the mind here. Notice what he says in verse 17. No longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their... Right? They are darkened in their understanding... Alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them. Paul says you've got to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, right? Listen to me. You learned Christ. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. First and foremost, this is what that means. First and foremost, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. Titus chapter 3. Go ahead, Gary, put that up there. Titus 3, 5 says... He saved us, talking I mean, God saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, so nothing we've done, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. First and foremost, listen to me, it is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Think repentance, right? Think about what repentance is. Repentance means to have a change of mind. The Holy Spirit is working on your heart, and you are having a change of mind about who Christ is. That's what happened in Acts chapter 2 when Peter preaches the sermon, the first gospel sermon. It says the people were cut to the heart, they were pierced, they had a change of mind. They saw Christ for who he was, and they saw themselves for who they were. And they said, Oh my gosh, we're sinners. We need Jesus to work of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is working in our minds and our hearts to see Christ. Secondly, secondly, we join in with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowers us to then be obedient. Now, you've got to hear me on this. Our obedience comes from our, that we are already in Christ. Does that make sense? You're not. Your obedience is not to try to get in Christ. You are already justified. You are positionally holy. You are made righteous. Therefore, your obedience flows from that. It's a world of difference. If you try to obey, to try to get in Christ, to try to earn his favor, it doesn't work. It's called legalism. It's called self-righteousness. But if you come from a position of like, man, I am I am already made righteous. Thank you, God, for saving me. And then your obedience flows from that. The Holy Spirit is empowering you. It's called grace-driven efforts. Grace-driven efforts. That's what it is. Romans 12 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Colossians 3.2 says we pursue Christ as we set our minds on things above, not on things that are on earth. So how do we join the Holy Spirit in obedience? How are we renewed by the Spirit in our mind? Well, listen to me, you've you got to be in the Word. Amen? We've got to be people of the Word. We've got to be in the Word. We've got to soak it up. We've got to study. Jesus is truth. We've got to study Jesus. We've got to be in the Word. We've got to know it. Paul says in Corinthians, I think it's 2 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 9 actually, he says, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. So whenever you ever have a thought that pops up in your mind, you're like, where the heck did that come from? Right? Paul says, take that thought capture it, make it obedient to Christ. How do we do that? Well, if we don't know the Word, we, we won't be able to do that. We've got to know the Word, right? We've got to hide the Word in our hearts. We've got to know the truth. We've got to study Scripture. Another way that we can do this practically is being in small groups, man. We've got to study the Word together, encourage each other, pray for each other. It's got to be accountability Gotta spur each other on. We've got to be like, hey, man, let's pursue Christ together. Let's pursue this 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 righteousness together. Right? Let's grieve over sin. Let's be like, man, let's be convicted. Let's 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 do that together as a church. There's there's just a couple things that you can do. Let let me close with this this final thing here, just to kind of hopefully bring it home to you. This past week, I was, we were at home, and, and, and we try to do uh, just a little Bible lesson each night. I, I, I listen, it, it doesn't happen every night and the Bible lesson is literally like five minutes long, and it's chaos, is it not? I'm looking at my wife here. She's like agreeing, right? So don't sit there and be like, man, the pastor, he does Bible lessons at home. It's not like that. Um, but we were doing this, uh, this, going through the gospel project, and my oldest son, Jude, and I've, I've been open and honest with you guys before. I have not been uh, ashamed or afraid to tell you that, one of the things that I do with my kids is whenever they do something that's this wrong or they, they sin or they mess up, whatever, I always bring it back to the gospel. I always ask them, I say, do you know why you did what you did? And I let them know it's because they have a dirty heart. Again, I always want to be brutally honest with them so that they recognize their need for Jesus. Well, we were... I may have gone a little too far with that over the years, okay, just so you know, because we were sitting at the living room of the other night, and, and I, I got this sense as we were going over the lesson that Jude had this defeatist type of attitude. He kind of, he, I could hear him what he was saying. He didn't come out and say this, but I could hear him saying, well, essentially, you know, uh, we're going to sin anyway, so, so what does it matter? we all got dirty hearts. That's not what he said, but that's what I heard, <laughs> okay? At that moment... I was like, okay, hold up, hold up, wait a minute. All right. I got up out of, out of the chair. Asher, my youngest, was down here on the floor, like being like crazy, and I just kind of put my hand over his mouth. I didn't do that. I kind of pushed him off to the side. I didn't do that either. I picked him up, threw him over in Robin's lap. I said, Jude, listen to me, buddy. I said, huh uh. I said, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I said, you are made righteous in Christ, you are positionally holy. This is who you are. You are a saint. You are a saint. You're, you're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. This is who you are. This is who you are. You are made righteous. And so therefore, as you are made righteous, you begin to live out of this new identity. That's who you are in Christ. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, you are enabled to be able to obey and to follow Christ. Christ. And so I encouraged them. I said, this this is who you are, man. This, This is who you are in Christ. You are positionally holy. Let's live out of that. Let's put on gospel clothes and live out of that. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. Thank you for your word. We thank you for our time together this morning. I pray, Father, as we close out today, that if there are uh, people here who just need to talk or need people to pray with, we pray, Father, that you would just uh, help them to see uh, their need for that, God, and not to be ashamed. Um, So, Father, I pray that you would move. I pray, Father, for uh, as we leave here, God, we would just continue to think on these things. and uh, We thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you for your son, Jesus.